everyone to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, July the 6th, uh, 2016, the open period, the first of three evaluation uh, weeks, weekends, what have you, for college basketball coaches and staffs. Just began uh, this afternoon. We'll obviously be getting into a lot of that this week on the board. Um, but we wanted to, to to have a special guest on the show that you obviously a few weeks ago I put out a call to folks any anybody out there who you know want, subscribers want to get on the show talk to me why why do you think we should and and, and my man Grafton nineteen you guys know him from the board uh, reached out and I think it was a great way to uh, to start this little series and certainly a, a perfect time considering that um, open weekends are here uh, his real name is not Grafton I'm gonna call him Grafton the whole time How, how's it going man welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, man? Thank you for having me on. Yeah, glad to have you, dude. I, I kind of want to start here um, as we go through this series of of, of kind of having um, folks from the board on the show. I kind of want to start with kind of a baseline question, which is talk to me a little bit about your your past with UVA, how you became a fan, um, how long you've been a fan. Um, I, I don't want to get into like heartbreak because that seems to be the, <laughs> the you know a general theme. But talk to me a little bit about just uh, just what it was about UVA that you know that you really liked so much growing up or whatever. Well, a lot of my family went to UVA, and I'm a UVA grad myself, so I started watching UVA pretty early. I uh, started watching basketball before I got, you know, I got into football in the Kirby years, Slade years, because they're from, they were from around where I was from. So I started paying attention to basketball probably right after Ralph Sampson graduated. So I've been, you know, a fan for pretty much 30 years or so. When... Do you have a, a favorite team, um, you know, a group, maybe not necessarily just a player, but a favorite team that you can remember, football, basketball, whatever, favorite favorite group? And what, talk uh, a little bit about that. The, that Corey Alexander, Harold Dean, that 95 team uh, that went to the league. Yeah, that eight. was a good one. Because I was in middle school, so I really started to understand the game of basketball around that time. And, you know, I hate to bring it up, but I haven't felt as bad about a UVA loss after the Syracuse game than after that Arkansas game. But I think the difference is, is the Arkansas game, I was happy for us to be there. Right. That Arkansas team was really good. Oh, so yeah, that team losing that game wasn't too bad. You know, losing to Syracuse kind of hurt more because I felt like we were better and we should have right. been in the Final Four. Right. So. And and it's also the time and place, right? I mean, yes. you know, it's it's one thing if, uh, you know, if Scotty Thurman hits a, you know, hits a nice shot over you. It's another thing if, if you lose a – you know, a two-digit lead with seven minutes to go, and and that's obviously something not that very not UVA uh, under Tony. Uh, I know that you. So, what level of basketball do you coach? I coach uh, high school boys, and I coach a lot of AAU basketball. Okay. So, you know, with a lot of my guys, and I train too. So, a lot of kids from Central Ohio who you know go on to play D one and D two. Right. I train a lot of those guys, so I've been able to see a lot of recruits on the AAU circuit. So right. that's how when you bring up a lot of names on the board, I've kind of been familiar with a couple right. of those kids for a couple of years. And right. what's funny is a few years ago, one of my kids that I trained, he said, Coach, you really need to come up to Indianapolis and watch this white guy play. <laughs> I mean, he can he can really ball out. And I didn't realize at the time that was Kyle Guy. Right. So yeah. I've been following Kyle for about three years. So I've been pretty familiar with his game what for the last it? couple of years. So you, so you knew about him before he pop, really popped up on UVA's radar? Yeah, I think he was towards the end of his freshman year. Okay. So I had no idea we were even recruiting this guy because I'm like, he's from Indiana. There's no way. Right. You know, right. I'm figuring Big Ten schools would be all over this kid. So when I saw that he committed to us, I kind of realized that Tony had arrived 
as far as, you know, branching out nationally. Right. Well, and not just that, pulling a kid from Indiana who doesn't his – I feel like it was like his grandparents or something are, are like major donors at IU. or so, There was some kind of connection there uh, in addition to just being from the state. Uh, I feel like I, – I, I feel like I'm not making that up. But yeah, that's that's an int- that's interesting. So when so UVA starts, you know, you hear UVA re- is recruiting this kid. Did did you did you feel like you needed to like go to more of his games <laughs> at that point? Did you feel like you needed to watch him again? I watched him probably twelve or fourteen times live, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But that's just because I know kids. You know, uh, you know Matt Moyer, uh-huh, who, right. another recruit. He he's kind of a kid that I trained for a couple years. So a lot of times when he played, mm-hmm. I would go. To a couple, there. I actually might. I think either. I'm not sure if he was actually on a team with Kyle or played against a team. Yeah, they Kyle. were on the. Yeah, they were on the. Same, yeah, yeah. yeah so were. that's how I got to watch him a lot. I think there was one summer, I probably watched him play five games in a row. Yeah. Oh so. man, that's that, you know what? It's funny because you can, as as somebody who has had, you go to AAU events. If you watch a team more than once, you you inevitably kind of fall in love with that team. Mm-hmm. You, you don't even mean to. I, I remember Hampton. EYBL like three years ago I just absolutely fell in love with the New York Lightning I watched like seven of their games over like three days or something crazy and I I was just sure that every single one of those guys was going to be like you know an all conference player wherever they went Um, but I can imagine too like once you have that piece of all right, knowing that this kid's going to be playing for for your team it's hard to hard to stay away Um, the the word I've heard so far is that he is exactly what he's hyped to be Mm-hmm. Um, UVA feels like he is exactly um, what they what they were hoping he was, and that's funny because Tony. I don't know if I think I've talked about this some on the board, but he is historically a um, an optimistic recruiter who turns pessimistic very quickly. He he likes to second guess himself on evals uh, a lot, and so inevitably he worries you know too much about what a kid can't do versus focusing on what a kid can do. Um, but all reports about. Kyle and Ty so far, and we'll get into that a little bit in a little bit, um, have been extremely positive. Um, so that's that's cool that you you had that background with him. Um, do you feel like he's a guy just because you know you know you've seen him, you've seen him kind of mature? Uh, is he probably going to end up being you think your your favorite player at UVA? No, because it, it's funny, and we've had this discussion on the board, and a couple guys they called this out early, and I'm not sure how I missed DeAndre Hunter's film. But when I saw that two-minute clip on the Virginia website, I'm like, <laughs> he might pass me. He might pass to be my favorite kid in this class. I mean, I just – it was a two-minute video. So I'm like, yeah. why am I getting so excited over a two-minute video? But that kid – I don't know how I missed it on that kid. But Kyle is is as good as he is. I'm not sure. With DeAndre, that might – I don't know. That will be close second right now. Yeah. DeAndre also, from what I heard – exactly what advertised actually i think he's shooting even better than they expected mm-hmm. um which does not surprise me because i was always i mean i've always been a fan of 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 longer guys with bounce who can shoot um i kind of feel like that's obviously watching the nba like that's where the the game is going is you know it's one thing to 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 you know to have to i mean i understand that you need a you need somebody who can go to the rim at times but but to have a guy who can do a bunch of different things, like if if you can't tell me that Virginia wouldn't have been better last year if they had had a blossom game type of kid, um, mm-hmm. somebody with some length who gives you some problems at the three four, you know he's a little bit too quick for a four, he's a little bit too bouncy uh, and strong for a three, uh, can stretch you out. Um, that's the kind of guy I think Virginia really needed Evan Nolte to be, 
Um, yes. And ultimately, he just never, you know, he was, he was a good, he he was a, he, I think he was a, a solid guy in some respects. Um, you know, I don't think he ever took that next step forward that they were really hoping he would. Similar to Toby in a lot of ways in that in that respect. Although now Toby's killing it uh, in summer league, but um, I feel like DeAndre has a has a real chance, not just to help for this year, but um, you, I could definitely see him being a huge, huge player uh, at UVA, especially to get some time with, with Mike Curtis. Um, if, you can, if Mike Curtis can do with Devin Hall what he's been able to do with Devin Hall, I, I can't imagine what he's going to be able to do with guys like DeAndre. And, well, and remember, someone had brought this up, and it might have been you a while back. Remember what he did with Isaiah when he came yeah, in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the whole Mount, I remember that. I was talking to Isaiah that summer, and he said that when he first got there, they were playing pickup, and uh, I think it was AG was talking about Mouse in the House. And then very quickly – <laughs> very quickly he put on like 20 25 pounds and yep. wasn't quite as much you know quite as small um was able to play a lot bigger uh i'm interested to see what th- they can do with deandre especially with the uh the the european trip although that might hurt him a little bit in terms of being able to put on mass but um i, I think that just from the early practices it sounds like from talking to different folks that like they are i, I understand highlight highlight clips that virginia sports tv puts out like they're inherent like inherently they're gonna be like all makes i get that but like there's been a lot of uh a lot of offense out there so far and i think guys are are really you know playing up to the level that the staff expected i mean what i heard were put it to you like this generally speaking after they have those first round of practices i hear you know whispers here and there and i don't really make a big deal of them because generally speaking they're harsh you know oh you know, we, you know, he's got to get, you know, he's got to be better at this. He's, this, this time, it's like all positive on all four of the of the freshman kids. Or, I mean, you said in the past, it's the James Johnson rule. Yes, you know, exactly. I, try, exactly. I try not to get too hyped about freshmen because, I'll be honest, the two kids since Tony's been there that I was super high on were him and Toby. So right. <laughs> that should tell you something. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is that if you look at the if you look at the roster the way it is now, and you think about okay, what needs do they have? Um, what, what do they really, what they need, they need shooters. They need somebody to spread the floor and they're going to have that in, in multiple ways. Um, I, I think the fact that Ty has come in and been able, one, been able to play as much as he has, which uh, th- my, my understanding is that he has not, um, and I'll get into more depth about this in the war room on Friday in terms of like how, what they've seen from the freshmen is really framing the way that they're going out on the road this week. But Ty has been able to do everything they've thrown at him. So they haven't necessarily been limited with him. They just haven't been pushing him maybe as long um, as because he's still got to getting back into playing shape. But in terms of vision, in terms of what they want out of a guy to replace London, that's it. Um, and so between the, the four kids, I think they have, have really been even better than advertised, which considering the, the height that this class got coming in, um, you know, it's pretty stellar. Well, I have a funny analogy for the show because I was talking to a buddy about this the other day, and, and we were talking about Ty and Kyle Guy, and he said, you know, what's your analogy on those two guys? And I was watching this movie the other night. I said, Kyle Guy, Sidney Dean from White Men Can't Jump. Flashy, talk, looks like he can talk <laughs> trash. Ty Jerome is Woody Harrelson, you know, a guy that if you look at his game, you're kind of not that impressed, but then he drops 20 on you in the playground. So you'll go to him after you're done. Hey, can you show up late next week so I can pick you up? Like his game <laughs> is good. sneaky good. Yeah, you know, Kyle's you. flashy. He's kind of like I always compare him to Grayson Allen, with, Grayson Allen without the attitude. But right. Ty Jerome has a very 
calm demeanor. He kind of reminds me of London in yep. a way. He's not flashy at all, yep. but, I mean, he's very effective in a lot of things he does. Yep. And he's also, I think, really smart about how – I think he's – Tony will talk to – you'll hear Tony about that kid to the end of time talking about feel. You know, he's mm -hmm. got a good feel. He's got a good feel. His vision is incredible. I think that's his, 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 his biggest uh, asset as a, as, a, as a guard is that whether he's on ball or off, he has a really good idea of where everybody's supposed to be, but he can see it in a way that I think a lot of players want to be able to see it. And so things are going to come easily to him. Um, so, you know, he's got the obvious challenge of learning the pack line, uh, earning his stripes on the defensive end. That's, that's going to be a, a challenge for all four of these kids, I think, in, a, in some ways. But you're right. That's a that's a good analogy. I like that. I can totally see it because if you think about it, London's kind of like that kid. You know, like yep. London doesn't really do much that that grabs your attention except for how you know. I mean, like some of those. He had some games last season where, I mean, some of the dimes he's dropping were just sick. Oh, he was um, the best player in the Syracuse game, other than the uh, kid that left. The the kid that left. Yeah, Malachi Richardson. Yeah. Yep. London was the best player on the court until about that seven minute mark. Right. And there's a lot of good players on the court that day. Right. So. Well, I know you're a huge, obviously a huge UVA hoops fan. Do you pay much attention to the to the football side? Because I feel like every once in a while you'll check in with like a random football question, um, to, and I appreciate you know getting the discussion going. But it seems like those are uh, maybe football is one of those sports where yeah. you 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 follow it, but you're not necessarily. No, as here's here's the crazy part: is I was a better football player growing up than basketball player, so <laughs> I do. But I just think, I mean, you should know. I mean, I. The person I feel bad for when the boards in their football season is you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of glad Broncos there because you and me there both, were dude. weekends that I would go on just to see if you have to throw anybody off or make a comment yeah. about you know rules. Yeah. And I just like, man, I feel bad for this guy. Like, I I I was like, there's times I was going to ask you for your number just to call and see if you're okay <laughs> during a uh, football weekend. But uh, well, I no, I'm that. a huge football that. fan. I just think the last. 10 years has sucked the life not yeah, only out of me, true. but a lot of people on the board. But I'm excited. I told someone the other day, I'm more excited for UVA football now than I've probably been since Grow got there. Right. Makes sense. And honestly, like, that doesn't surprise me because I feel like I, I told somebody this um, at our publishers conference a few weeks ago. I was, I was telling, uh, you know, a couple of guys who run different ACC sites, I said, there's more interest because we were talking about, like, the way that our business has kind of changed and, 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 and how we adapt and, and, and what do we do and what do we not do? And maybe what do we, what do we, what do we change? And one of the things I made a point of is like, you know, it's a, it's a weird time for me to go through any kind of change. Cause I finally feel like I got, you know, people actually excited about football for once. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, when I'm running those, you know, weekly stories about, you know, whether it's features or, you know, prep, you know, about this game going on this weekend, I feel like now people are actually going to pay attention to it in a way that they just haven't, um, for at least four or five years, probably since the 2011 team that uh -huh. went to the Peach Bowl. I mean, like, if you think about it, this is the first time folks can, I think, be genuinely excited. And uh, it, even if they don't, like, even if they don't win seven or eight games, even if they just, you know, just go six and six, which I know for most UVA fans, you're like, a, a postseason game? I be, Absolutely. I would yes. be happy with six and six and would go to the bowl game. I mean, yeah, I'm that, it's been that bad. Yep. And that's what's funny is that, like they're going to end up going, like maybe they go six and six and they go to some random bowl game and like they're going to sell out in like uh -huh. you know, a day. And, and the people at the bowl are going to be like, wait, you people really want to come to Shreveport? And like UVA fans will at this point, they're so thirsty for football success, they'll drink the sand. Um, I, 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 that's going to be uh, interesting. I just hope, my only, I think my only fear with that is I think maybe I've had too many. Too many rough Saturday afternoons <laughs> where I had to come back to the board and deal with um, 
crap. So much hate and anger and frustration, and you know, rightfully so. Well, let but, me ask you this question: Do you feel? Do you kind of get a Tony Bennett, Brian O'Connor type of feel from Bronco? I mean, that, I think that's what makes me excited as a fan. I finally get. I mean, obviously, we see with London there was not much playing an effect that was going to be effective. Grow had a plan, but he was more of an NFL guy right. trying to do his NFL thing. And right. once the game spread out, it didn't work for him. But right. I feel I feel like Bronco Mendenhall understands college football. Yeah. He's a database plan, and he's going to put it to effect. And, you know, you're either going to be with the plan or you're not going to be there. Yeah, I think the, the – day I feel like it was Dave. It might have been Ferber. I don't know. Um, one of those dudes uh, on the show a couple weeks ago at some point made a, made a really good point about recruiting. And think about, you know – one of Tony's first classes, right, was the was the Joe Harris Akil Mitchell class, and you would not have thought, you know, like those cats were not like highly recruited, you know, highly rated guys. I mean, they you know had some nice offers, whatever, but like what they did was they fit a system and, and they fit a style. Now, when I say that, I, those are two different things, in my opinion. Yes. To me, system is culture. System is what you expect from your people. Uh, style is the way you play. And so, like, those guys fit Tony and what he wanted to do. And so in that first class, Tony took some flyers. He took some kids that he thought would fit. They didn't fit. They go wherever. I kind of feel like if you look at that and you, and you equate it to what Bronco's doing right now, a lot of it makes sense. Um, you know, he's, he's found kids that not only fit him but also fit um, the university. And I think that was one of the things. Like, last year's class, uh, Andrew Ransbacker from the Daily Progress in Charlottesville uh, Text me today, and he's apparently doing some story on the recruiting class, and he wanted to, to get some quotes from me. And one of the things I said was that if you look at last year's class, what Mike and them did was actually smart. They found they knew it was going to be tough sledding with that class, so they found kids that fit the university, right? So they found kids who wanted to go to UVA. They didn't just mm-hmm. want to play ACC football; they wanted to go to UVA to play ACC football. Well, what I think Broncos done is he's done the same thing, except he's also found kids who fit what he wants to do at yeah. UVA playing ACC football. And so I think that's that's got to be what he does first. Um, but you're, I, I, to answer your your question from earlier, I do get a very kind of Tony Bennett vibe. He he has a system. He believes in it. Uh, he's going to recruit to it. He's going to be he's going to be brutally honest. Which I, I just talked to John Curvin this afternoon and was talking about um, for, during the interview. I was asking him, about, you know, you've got the, it's the wildest it's the wildest ride I can think of. I, I mean, plenty of team, plenty of kids go to the SEC. You know, commit to a school like two, two, three times the same school. But I cannot think of a situation where a kid has switched positions that, you know, was committed, decommitted, recommitted at a different position, especially UVA, because that, you know, that that's like a unicorn. Um, but one of the things he said was that re- one of the reasons that he he really was serious about the offer, the second offer from UVA at defensive end was that that they had been ex- especially honest with him, that they didn't try to just add him and then move him once he got there. He really appreciated the fact that they allowed him to go through the recruiting process with all of the information and that they were straight up with him. And, you know, I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense because that sounds like exactly something Tony would do. How many kids has Tony – I don't want to say run off, but how many kids have transferred because Tony was, like, incredibly honest in an in a exit interview and said, you know what, you're really not going to see 12 minutes a game next year. Well, and I've heard that from kids on the AAU circuit. They may not commit to Virginia – but the thing a lot of kids that I come across who are being recruited by Virginia say is Tony Bennett is one of the most honest coaches on the trail that you will find. Because I'll talk to a lot of kids, and I'm not going to name those coaches on air. Right. They like the coach. They like the program. But, you know, they can kind of get that right. Rick Pitino feel yeah, really for the coach. <laughs> they don't yeah. get that with Tony Bennett. I've had kids 
that have committed to other schools and been like, you know what? But Tony Bennett, I love them. And they hold high respect for him because he's honest. And I'm also not entirely sure that one of the reasons he doesn't do so well in the in the in the transfer market is because these guys remember how mm-hmm. how that was to deal with him and his staff originally, or they've talked to guys you know who 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 have, and they understand that like that honesty, like you might not like what he's saying, and you might disagree with what he's saying. I mean, I think Tevin Jones would probably tell you, you know what, I could have been you know a much better player than they expected yeah. me to be. Um, but he's never going to hold back on you. And then if you want to go, hey, go. You know, if you if you well, think you got somewhere else to be, go go somewhere else. Well, that's why I think. I mean, Ag and Nichols ended up coming to Virginia's transfers, yep. and everyone swore that you know Austin was going to go to Duke. But I just had a good feeling that when Virginia recruited him, they did the right things by him. And I and I think a kid's going to remember that when you transfer somewhere else. Yep. And I think too, the, I think. Virginia, I don't want to say continue to recruit him because that's obviously a recruiting violation and <laughs> would get me in all kinds of trouble. What I think is that that, it, that I've, I've commonly heard different folks in the program say something or along these lines to do life with, right? That they don't see it as just you're recruiting a kid to, to, to play basketball. You're recruiting, you're, you're basically, it's a relationship and, and you're doing life together. Um, I feel like Richie McKay maybe even used that phrase when he, when he left to go back to Liberty. Um, with Nichols, I don't think that they – I don't want, they weren't recruiting him, but the relationship was always so good that the idea of being coached again, I think it was kind of a natural, hey, that's where I want to go. That's where I need to go, you know? Well, and I talked to a tech buddy about this today. Seth Allen would have been perfect for the team that we had that just left, a kid that could create his own right. shot off the right. dribble when the shot clock ran down. But I never got the vibe that Seth would have been a fit. Well, I think Seth was also he was also coming from a situation where he was one of several guys, and I think one of the things that was different was UVA sold him on become come here and win. Right? Yeah, Tech sold him on come here and be the guy. Be the guy, exactly. I, I, I think uh, something to I've heard different versions of this, but my my understanding is is that um, that he basically said to to Seth, "You're going to be my guy," and I wonder if. If if the roster had been a little bit different, I, I kind of feel like the, the that decision would have been an easy one for Seth because at UVA he was going to be until his senior year even not necessarily the guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and 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 you know we I think a lot of times we as we as people who cover the game we as fans whatever we mm-hmm. we 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 lose sight of the fact that like different guys can have different motivations and that's okay. Um, you know, the, 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 the last few days with the response to Kevin Durant making the decision to go to the Warriors has been fascinating, especially for me as a LeBron guy. Um, but, like, watching, watching the world just, like, eat itself over this has just been fascinating to me because it's okay for different people to have different motivations, and, and what success is to you might not necessarily be success to me. And, you know, for Seth, he, you know, he wanted to go to a place where he could feel comfortable and he didn't have to worry about um, – you know, looking over his shoulder and, and stuff like he had to at Maryland. I think that you probably can make the argument that what Tony wants isn't necessarily just guys who don't care about their shoulders. It's that they like the fact that they that there's so many different cooks in the kitchen and that everybody finds their role and moves forward with it. Well, think about Darius Thompson. I mean, how right. how much, and so, you know, even when he hit that shot against Wake Forest, he wasn't playing that much. Right. And that has to be a tougher kid who sat for a year came in and then I mean he started getting more playing time towards the end of the year but I mean it just it got to a point where where did this guy fit and I think it took Tony and the one of the things on the board that's always a criticism of Tony and I've even criticized the time 
is Tony's rotations at times you can never figure out yeah. what he's doing with his rotations at times. But, I mean, it's got to be hard for a kid to come in and have to compete. And I just think what's interesting, I think Isaiah said it to Jeff White, these freshmen are so good. There's 13 guys on this roster that can play, yeah. and 13 guys aren't going to play. So, I mean, that's going to be interesting to see how Tony deals with that dynamic. Well, and what I think, too, is that one of the things that became pretty clear to me was that later in the, in the, in the, in the season, so as they started going postseason, what have you, you started hearing more and more that maybe they didn't necessarily need a point guard. And mm-hmm. and I and I scratch my head a little bit because it just makes sense, right? You you've got you've got what's going to be a four year starter leaving. You have one spot. He's the one spot you should replace it with a point guard. But between Darius and, and and Ty, they just didn't feel like they needed one. And I think what's been interesting has been that the practices have really you know proven that correct. That they they did make the right move uh, in seventeen by continuing to recruit Michael Porter to not worry about you know whether they needed to go in a different direction at, you know, whether it was point guard. I mean, like, I think one of the best things that may have happened to them was the fact that Tony fell in love with the likes kid. And then he commits to Miami and he doesn't have, maybe you could say Lonnie Walker, but I mean, some of those other point guards, I mean, I I think Alex Barcelo has probably had as strong a spring as any guard in the country. And yet Virginia just never wanted to kick the, the tires back up on it. Well, cause he, rem- he kind of reminds me of Kyle guy and Kyle Jerome. He's already a kid. I think if you're going to take a point guard, the kid that went to Miami yeah. is different than anything we have on right. the roster. But now Tony sits, I mean, two years ago when you started breaking down what the roster would be after London graduated, I was in the same boat. I'm like, we need a point guard. We need mm-hmm. a point guard. Mm-hmm. I'm not like that now mm-hmm. because I see the pieces that Tony's added and a lot of times you can have your two, three in his system bring the ball up. I mean, Malcolm plays the points. Right, right. You know, Marielle can bring the ball. Sometimes, I mean, you get <laughs> you kind of cringe when he does it. Uh, Devin Hall can bring the ball up sometimes. Right. So you don't need, I mean, it's great that we have a guy that you can go to to take the pressure off. But in Tony's system, your one, two, or three can bring the ball up. Right, they're all initiating off Exactly. Um, the thing too is that when you look at the at the need, okay, so seventeen they have one scholarship. Clearly, it's going to be uh, to me at least is they're they're going to ride this Porter thing out, and it, it, it's like the perfect storm mm-hmm. because if UVA doesn't get anybody in seventeen, uses that on the transfer market, the, Tony will be just as happy. I guess I should amend that because I think pulling the number two player in the country would make him happier. But anyway, um, <laughs> I just mean like in terms of like if they get somebody in 17, that's great. If they, they, they have a scholarship to use, that's great too. Like they're, that's not a bad outcome for them, right? Um, so here's the perfect scenario. You're going to have to ride this marathon out. Tony is not a marathon recruiter. He is a sprinter. He wants mm-hmm. to get the thing done, get the thing yeah. wrapped up, which is one of the things that about 17 that helps is that even though they don't have that scholarship taken right now, they're able to kind of move forward. And so like this week – you know, Tony can focus on some 18 kids. He can really – he can show Javon Quinterly love. He can go watch Brandon Williams. He can go watch Darius Garland. You know, he can evaluate some some other guys who who, may, who might be in line for another offer uh, in that class. He doesn't have to worry about chasing somebody in 17, you know, having to go to those kids, you know, that kid's games, uh, having to be seen. Because that's what a lot of this evaluation period is. For, a lot, for coaches like Tony, it's not necessarily just about evaluating. It's about being seen. You know, yep. you want you want your top guy to see you three deep at his games. Um, so for you know, he starts tonight 
in Charlotte, he'll he'll be down in Augusta. Like he wants to be seen as much as yep. he wants to evaluate. But at the same time, like if they were in a situation where, you know, they needed to go out and get somebody in seventeen, all right. So the likes kids off the board, probably not going to be in the in the mix for Lonnie Walker uh, down the road. I mean, you're obviously going to be a recruitment you stay in. Um, but I think because they like their eighteen point guard situation so well, and they understand that the roster is pretty, you know, they're not in a world of hurt at that spot. That they can they can move forward with just or you know what we're going to ride Porter out, and we can focus our evaluation time on the 18s and 19s because I mean that 18 class it's five man deep I mean you need everything you need I mean exactly and 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 what's funny you've been talking about Matt Coleman's what two years now on the board oh man been like three and a half it feels like yeah he got offered and, when he's a and, freshman and now it's like if we take him great but it's kind of like. You know, he's a forgotten guy because the roster pieces just rounded out so True. well. And, and and you said it best. I think it's best for Tony to really concentrate on that 18 class as much as possible because, say, Austin blows up in 17. Mm-hmm. He could leave if he wanted to. Yeah, that's true. You, you never know who's going to transfer. I mean, Tony, I mean, let's just face it. We always have transfers, you know, good or bad. Someone may not like their playing time. So 18 is going to be crucial. I think yeah. for Virginia to continue – you know, I have tech buddies say this all the time. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. I think it will, but I think 18 is going to be the key class for the longevity of right. the program. Well, and in a lot of ways, I agree with you. The, the thing I would add to that is that, that, that they did so well in 16 that to mm-hmm. me it seems like, all right, you, you, you had you – had, it, like, it was like they were a group that dropped a really good album – and now they had to come back with a banger, and they did. You know what I'm yep. saying? Like they, uh, they, they followed up what was the most successful senior class that they've ever had. Um, and we'll, you know, I, I know that some of them had different stops and starts, what have you. But they followed that up with the best recruiting class they've ever had. And so I think you're right. You, you look at 16. I think you're, they're gonna at least one of those guys is gonna redshirt. I, I, I'm pretty sure. So what you what you're essentially doing then is you're moving two guys into 17. And that helps you if you have a transfer. You're getting a little bit of balance. The thing that they have to figure out right now, I think, in in terms of longevity, is you can't have big class, small class, big class, small class. Because what it does is it puts so much pressure on you in those evaluation years to to do so much early work because you have so much other work to do in those years. So for well, example, and, and Tony's done big class, small class before, and it right. hasn't exactly ironed out. So I think yeah. that staff, the staff has probably learned from that. And the thing a lot of people said about the 16 class with Jared. It really wasn't a one-man class because Mamadine and Austin came in as transfers, so it really right. was a three-man class. So, I mean, it's kind of, I think in a way where 18 is used is we kind of have to figure out how to make the big class work, like you said, from yeah. a number standpoint, because right. kind of gotten lucky with our transfer situation and being able to redshirt Mamadine. We were able to spread out years right. pretty effectively, but I mean, you can't get that lucky all the time. Yeah, and what's and the other thing too is that if they let's say they let's say Ty plays, he's ready to play, but they decide to to redshirt Jay Huff so he can have a year to soak. All right, so then you're taking two in, in seventeen. You're still going to have five and and uh, in eighteen. But what you could do is if let's say Porter decides he wants to go to Washington, well now you have a transfer and you can you can supplement where you are by finding a transfer. You know, so you go out and you get a freshman. Right. As opposed to, you know, or maybe you get a sophomore, you know, you can you can you can kind of choose where that line falls um, depending on, you know, who's available and and what do you think your needs are. But I think Tony and them have been really smart about it in the sense that they don't like they could have gone out 
uh, and added a guy just to add a guy. And they clearly don't want to do that. Um, you know, because he did that early. I feel like with yeah, some of the guys that he yeah, took early in the exactly. background. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think like you know, Tevin was a perfect example. Like yep. Tevin was kind of sold to them, I think, by his um, coach at um, um, Massanutten as as a little bit better than he was. And I don't think they really did as much legwork on it. Now. Well, that's because we missed out on every other point well, yeah, guard. Yeah, yeah, that was that. Yeah, that was that weird class. But I will say this: I think Tevin, um, if he had it to do over, probably wouldn't leave. But I also think he he had a lot of potential that either either they just didn't have an opportunity to to really tap into, or there was some kind of disconnect there. Because I do think that that kid had a lot of a lot of potential um, to be better than what we what we saw. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like Devin Hall. I mean, a lot of people on the board had that same feeling about Devin, how Devin would fit. And I think middle of last season into the tournament, you kind of got the feeling that, okay, he's, he's getting it. Right. You know, so you're yeah. going to have a kid like that. And what's, what I think is funny, too, about Devin is that uh, on the board, it seems like he's the guy that everybody holds to, like, this absurd standard. Like, mm-hmm. he could have a single turnover, right? <laughs> he, he, could, he could drop four – he could have a four assist, uh, two steals, uh, score, you know, score six points on, on three for three shooting – um, and and make both you know maybe maybe let's say he, he he hit two threes he hit both foul shots so he scores eight points um, but he had one turnover the board would be like man he's really got to cut down on those turnovers oh it's him and Shayok him it's, and Shayok get the most criticism on the board which I mean I understand like Shayok because he they had he had such that high watermark in in the in yeah. Charleston and so then he, he he hurts the hand he has a concussion he lost all the confidence he he didn't want to handle the ball teams were smart. Right, they they wanted him to handle the ball. Whenever he did handle the ball, they attacked him. Yep. Um. You know that's something he's obviously got to work on. But I feel like both of those kids got better as the season went on. Maybe not necessarily in terms of the contributions they were making was getting bigger, but the, what they were doing, they were doing more efficiently. Um. And that's why well, I like Shayok in the tournament. I yeah. mean, I'd say he was probably one of our better. I mean, there yeah. were some games I'm like, wow, this is the Mariel everyone's yeah. been waiting to see. Yep. He's getting healthy. He's attacking the basket. Yeah, I mean, he really was. So, <laughs> To me, the fact that Marielle and Devin had the seasons and kind of the highs and lows that they did is the. I mean, I understand the 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 rush to want to put you know Kyle in the starting lineup to put uh, DeAndre in the starting lineup. I'm like, guys, like what you saw growth wise from Devin and Marielle last year is going to pay huge dividends for them um, as they get ready for the season. I'm not saying that those other guys won't get minutes; they will absolutely get minutes. And I think one of the challenges that Tony has with this class, and you mentioned it earlier, is that or excuse me, with a season, is that there are legitimately 11 to 12 guys Uh who could legitimately get consistent minutes if they – if they didn't have 11 or 12 guys. Well, I'll and, throw two more guys at you, Darius and Jared. I mean, people yeah. don't bring those guys up either on the board about guys that can make impacts next year. And I'm just yep. like, well, that's those, the thing too. I mean, it? Darius started to play pretty good in the tournament as well. And I think Jared on the block could yeah. play better with the guy like Austin beside exactly. him because now and that's he gets a, to do the dirty work. Exactly. And that's the thing that like frustrate. I don't want to say frustrates because that's not the right word, but I, I, I keep trying to, to, to kind of center people on, which is, Folks think that, you know, I understand Mominy has a lot of potential. Don't get me wrong. The kid is a beast. He's just, you know, he's a beast just waiting for, for a place to, to unleash it. But I, I, I keep saying this. They're going to bring him along slow. Anybody who loses sight of Jared is, is missing the point because I think he, he will be the first big off the bench. Mm-hmm. And I think that when he's in a better position physically, I mean, if you think back to those games, I mean, he was giving them mad contributions and just you could see him struggling to catch his wind. Um, because he wasn't in consistent minutes because he hadn't been there uh, long enough. 
Um, and plus, he had dropped an absurd amount of weight. Like, Mike took, like, 20, 25 pounds off the kid. So he's still trying to, you know, and I understand, like, a lot of people will think, oh, he lost a bunch of weight. Why can't he get his win? Because he's not used to giving that much effort. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, well, as a, it, as a, a coach, we call changed. it game clock. We, we call it game clock in coaching. And I always say a kid has to have – a good player has to have a three- to four-minute game clock where you can play balls to the wall, excuse right. my language, for yep. three to four minutes. He couldn't do that. Right. Exactly, and and I think that they that they would have liked to probably played him in 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 more minutes at times, and he could, but he couldn't do it, and that's that's just part of being a first year. And I'm not saying that that the the freshman kid won't hit a wall this year, or that they will hit a wall. I think that you kind of have to you have to wait and see how they all fit together. But mm-hmm. I do think that Jared is a because he does have really good passing skills. He's a hell of a screener. Um, I think he'll be a better rebounder. Um, if there's anything we know about Mike Curtis is that kids take a significant jump between year one and year two. Um, And that's what you saw from Devin. Devin went from being kind of a uh, almost mechanical combo guard to being almost an uber athletic guy. You know, I mean, he's a bouncer now. Um, You know, he's still got some mechanics in his shot that he needs to fix. And, you know, his ball handling at times can be a little spotty. But if you look at what Mike Curtis did with him and – I think that you can kind of expect that he's going to do something similar for what Jared it was and what he should be. So I'm like you. I kind of expect big things out of him. Um, as I look forward, though, I, I got to say, I, I think a lot of people are going to be, I don't want to say surprised to see what post-Malcolm, post-AG Virginia looks like. Um, I think Malcolm had those games this year where he just went supernova. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a lot of times Virginia was just standing around. Yep, watching um, guys, you know, ball just you know, beating the ball on the floor, and I, I just feel like with these shooters, with with some of the guys and the experiences that they have, I think one of the things that that we miss is that Virginia was at its best last year when they were pushing tempo, um, yes. when Darius Thompson was able to get out in transition, when they were able to to create um, in the in the open floor. I think one of the things, and I think I've said this on the board a couple times, but one of the things that doomed them against Syracuse was how well they broke the press against Iowa State. Yes. And so they had so much success in the open floor, and then it just didn't work against Syracuse. Probably better athletes. Funny, you know. My buddy went to Iowa State, and, I, and, I, and we joked about it after the game. I said, we broke that press so easily. And he was like, that's why we don't press. We're not a good – he said we're a horrible right. press team. So the, I think Virginia got sold a bad uh, bag of goods. Yeah. Like you said, of how well we broke the press against Iowa State. And actually against Syracuse, early on we were breaking the press pretty successfully too. But I think, you know, I got – what's funny is I was I was about to buy tickets to the Final Four at about the 9.30 <laughs> mark. And I, I said, man, this, you know, there's still a lot of time right. left. Right. I just, you know, you, you've watched many games. There's games where you know, okay, this isn't a bag right. or maybe I need to hold off. And the, the pace of play – for us just was too quick at yep. about that 930 mark. Yeah. And you're right. I think our guards started attacking the press like they did against Iowa State. And we just we got careless with the ball. And I think when AG traveled, that travel call totally turned the tide of that game. Yeah. And the thing too, and this is gonna sound funny, but like it's a lot easier, I think. For, for Tony to turn an offensive-minded player into a guy who can play his defense than it is to take a guy who fits his defense and make him into an offensive player. And one mm-hmm. of the things I think you're going to see about Virginia going forward is these cats can score. They can yeah. finish. Like, they're, they're, they can shoot. And so what he has had has been guys who were 
serviceable offensively. Now, AG, I thought at times was just a freak. Like he he had an ability to to, to take contact and still get to the basket. Somewhere along the way this season, though, he turned into somebody who invited the contact too much, wasn't going to get the call anyway, and then wasn't able to do anything if he didn't get the call or didn't get the contact. He wasn't finishing at the rim because yeah, right. I think he just got – I call. I think I said this on the board. He was getting too cute at times in the post. Instead of being AG, like you said, being dominant and just going up strong with the ball, it was kind of like he turned into a finesse player in the middle of the season. Yeah, for some and, then, reason. and then you pair him with Toby – Yep. Um, and 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 that thing just never really worked. Uh, and Isaiah, because Isaiah's a small, I mean, people don't. Isaiah's like six six. He's like six <laughs> six six seven somewhere in the ballpark. All right, he looks six nine on TV though. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the hair. Um, but like, he's not a he. He can't play super big, right? Uh, and so you pair him with a guy like Ag, and he's not going to be able to attack the glass as well. The problem is, is that they, those roles almost need to be reversed. I, like Isaiah's the guy who's going to hit that fifteen footer. You know, he's the guy that's going to knock that thing down from the top of the key. And I'm interested to see if if he does, like he says, he thought, you know, he wanted to do this offseason, extend it a little bit, um, what that what that could mean for the offense. But like he's perfectly paired with an Austin Nichols. With Austin Nichols, exactly. Because Austin, I think, and someone asked me this, they think, how how good do you think Austin will be? I think he'll be our best on the block post we've had since Travis Watson, Junior Burrow types. I think he's that that good. On the block, as far as you know, jump hooks, being able to shoot right. jump shots, and and that's where Isaiah is gonna he's gonna thrive because now he can play small and stretch out. He could try to he could kind of be like Draymond Green, and I think actually Isaiah's range will extend to that three point line some just because he's gotten stronger for another right. year. I keep saying I think Jay Huff should or will tra- uh, red transfer will redshirt, but what I find the most interesting is the idea of of pairing him with a kid like Austin. Where you could have a big man who could really exploit mismatches down low, and then having some some nice big to big uh, inside outside. Like, how do you defend that? You know what I mean? Like, if you're if you're if you have a guy at the at the point like London, how would you defend two six ten six eleven guys? One of them is killing you inside, and one of them's killing you on the outside. And you can just move that kid around. Oh, and by the way, you can pair him with whether it's. Um, you know, one of the young kids or not, you can move some pieces around. I think Virginia's offense is going to look, I don't want to say dramatically different, but I do think it's going to look significantly different. Um, I really wish I had enough um, enough coin and enough uh, time to go follow them around Europe uh, and watch <laughs> those games because I really do think, like, it's going to be fascinating to watch those guys as they kind of gel because um, I've, I've always thought that London, London was a guy who – who had the most heart on the team. Remember a couple years ago and Darion said, you know, they just didn't have enough dogs. I, I kind of always kind of believed that a little bit, um, that they needed a couple – I don't want to say goons. They needed a couple dudes who just didn't care. You know, yeah, they, they, need, a, they need a Grayson Allen to a point. Maybe not to that extreme, but they – I mean, you're right. You're correct. You said, like you've a, been saying that for a couple years, too. They need, a, they need like, a, like, a, like a Richard Howell. You know what I'm saying? Like a dude who just, you know, gives you everything – and just like doesn't care, and I, I don't necessarily think you have to have a ton of swagger. It has to be like so out there. But I do think though that when you bring these young kids in, like they have a different mindset. Like these guys are good, and they know they're good, but they don't like they're both confident and yet at the same time not cocky. And so I'm, I'm interested to see when you pair that with London and his leadership, what that's going to look like for the team, because you have a lot of guys who are, are going to have a lot to prove, right? 
you know, considering the way last season ended, everybody who was on that team obviously is going to be hungry to get back there, right? They want to, they want to, you know, London wants to take this team to a Final Four. You know, Austin is is ready to, you know, ready to get out there. Uh, You know, guys are, are, now that they have opportunities, the seniors have moved on, you know, they're going to be, you know, kind of chomping at the bit. And then you got these young kids who clearly are, have have all been parts of winning programs, whether those are high school or AAU. Um, I I think a lot of these guys are going to be, you know, just I, I, I'm interested to see how it all fits together. Um, I, I think I say this every year, but this is I, I think this is Tony's hardest coaching job. Yeah, I, and, and that's why you said this on the board. And a lot of guys on the board are kind of I wouldn't say freaking out, but concerned that we're going to start slow because of the pack line or we've got to gel. I think this will be Tony's toughest coaching job he's ever had because. He hasn't had this much talent on the court at Washington State or at Virginia. I mean, this is the most talent he's personally had. Right. Which is weird considering he's had, what, multiple NBA guys at this point. Yeah, right? well, exactly. <laughs> and that, and that, that's since, I mean, we've now reached the level. I wouldn't say we're Duke or Kentucky yet, but we're in that second tier of teams with talent. I mean, to be honest, Tony's done a lot with, you know, Good players, but not great players. Right, I mean, right. Justin Anderson, you could tell he was going to be an NBA kid, but you didn't think Malcolm was going to be an NBA kid when he first got there. You know, you thought Toby was after his freshman year. I mean, I remember reading magazines where the guy was like top 10 centers going yeah. into the draft. And I'm like, all right, we need a slower <laughs> roll than that one. But now I, I even put this on the board a couple of weeks ago. We probably got five or six guys that potentially could be on NBA rosters in a couple of years. And and somebody corrected me. They thought I was talking about Devin Hall, but I was talking about DeAndre. Right, yeah, yeah. This was before I saw the video. <laughs> and then so I saw the video. So now you feel like, now you feel like yeah. you're, you're even sure of it, right? Even more sure. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I could definitely see Austin. I could see Kyle. I could see um, De- DeAndre. I could see Mamadi because Mamadi, look – if Mamadi has the season that people on the board expect, I mean, he couldn't be a one and done. He's not going to be, but he's he not going to be. But, yeah. but like, I think it's also I, I, the one thing I try to to make sure that I tr- that I I don't want to say combat head, but I try to I try to be realistic with folks. It's like the shiny new thing is always it's always tempting to say like this kid is going to come in and be whatever, and I get that, um, especially with a talent with a class is talented. But when you see a team like Virginia, like it takes a while. Um, I don't, and when I say wow, I don't mean years. I mean you know parts of a season for thing for one for not just for guys to really pick up the pack line, but it's about it's about the continuity that you need. You know, Tony is always talking uh, in any practice I've ever been able to see. You know, he wants guys to be continuous, and that's the hardest thing is is playing at that level all the time. Because even when you play at a really good high school program or really good AU program, there are moments where you get to just check out for a second and take a breath. Yep. That doesn't happen if you are out there. It can't happen. You know, there's just too much going on. You you do not have time, especially you know in this day and age where you know Virginia is now a hunted team. Um, you know, we we talked to that the hurt kid, Matthew Hurt, as a 2019 um, power forward to be. Skinny is a very very slight kid, but with a lot of skill. And and he said it. You know, he's like you know Virginia's always up there. Like you're exactly right. Like Virginia's at a place now where teams understand like how good they are. And they come after them. You can't be in that environment. You can't be part of that culture if you're not able to go all the time. And I think that expecting any freshman to come in and contribute to that level that quickly, it's it's setting it's setting yourself up for failure if you expect it. But that's not to say that, you know, by middle of December, 
early January that you couldn't see a couple of these freshman kids really making an impact. I just mean that, you know, game one, I don't think you're going to see Tony go away from, you know, experience and what he knows, what he's seen from guys, uh, and, and go to these younger kids. Because, one, I think that would almost reinforce a little bit of, of something he doesn't want to reinforce, which is that it's uh, back to Bronco, right? Or not given. Yep, exactly. You know, now, and now, listen, if Kyle and, and DeAndre go into practice and they're clearly heads and shoulders above everybody else, they'll play. But that will be because they're clearly heads and shoulders of everybody else, not because, hey, uh, I got this, we got these new toys. Let me, let me see how to use them. And I think that's the way a lot of fans think of the roster. It's like, oh, we, we, we got these newfangled wide receivers. Let's, you know, let's see what they do. Um, it's one of those things where as a team, they have to, sh- they have to show it on the floor. And I th- perfect. It, this really is the perfect year for them to take this uh, European trip because by the time they get back in that little interim between, like Tony is going to have going to know exactly what he needs to do with the roster and exactly what he needs to do with each player's development uh, in a way that I, I just don't think you would have normally gotten from the normal summer sessions that they get. Well, and think about this too. The ACC. I mean, I I, was, I counted this down a few weeks ago, and someone on the board has been breaking uh, had an ACC breakdown recently. You legitimately could have seven to ten teams in the ACC in the tournament. I mean, think of this for a second. Virginia Tech, and I, and I got – people got on me for this last year. I hate the Hokies, but Buzz has talent. Uh, if Leonard Hamilton ever figures that out, I mean, who has more talent than Leonard Hamilton and Godfrey oh my God. year in and year out? Dude, if, if, if you took that Isaac kid, Jonathan Isaac off that – have you watched any of his film? Oh, my yes. God, he's so nasty. I remember hearing hearing about him like a year and a half ago. Uh, watched watched like three seconds of film. Like, nope. Like, there's no chance. UV has no chance at that kid. Yep. Um, how 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 Bunny Colvin gets those kids? I just don't even know. But you're right. If they ever figure that out, I, and I agree. Like, Buzz is a really good coach, and he he's now got some some talent in the in the in the program. You know, thanks to the ACC, I think selling the opportunity to to face some of the best teams in the country so often, um, and having ample playing time available never hurts. Um, you're right. Like the the league is going to be incredibly deep. Um, you know, because you've got you, you've got your you've got your stalwarts, right? You got, you know, Duke's going to bring in, you know, top whatever picks, and <laughs> I, I don't know how that roster really f- works right now, but something Shishosky tells me makes it work though. K always <laughs> figures out a way. Um, you know, I, I look at Virginia, I look at Carolina. Um, you know, I, I think Louisville could be interesting in some ways. Um, I mean, if they didn't go on sanctions last year, they're probably a Sweet 16 team. Yeah. I mean, Syracuse, okay, they get to the Final Four last year, and it was kind of a down year, and they've got talent. I mean, I thought the one kid who didn't leave might end up being their best player. I can't think of the kid's name offhand. Uh, Ty, uh, Roberson? Distra- yep. Yeah. He's a, uh, and, and then they've got uh, – they've got um, oh, what's that kid's name? The freshman kid. Um, I mean, the, the, but above all, the league is going to be scary deep. Uh, Virginia playing a really interesting schedule. Uh, they get that random like January game against Villanova. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> I I, still, I I don't know if I actually posted this on the board or if I just texted it to to somebody, but like that's going to be the game where Jay Wright really kicks himself for letting DeAndre Hunter uh, leave the state of Pennsylvania um, <laughs> because I, I really think by that point in the season, like like Dre's going to be at a whole other level. Um, it's funny because if you look at each one of these kids that Virginia's bringing in this class, it, you can get incredibly excited about how they fit, and you don't even necessarily need all of them together. 
Like, if I just told you that Virginia was bringing in DeAndre Hunter, you'd be scary excited about it. Or if I said they're only bringing in Kyle Guy, you'd be scary excited about it. But then you think about the prospect of adding all of these kids at once. Like you said, I think that's a, that's a tough coaching job. But that's also, I think, speaks to, you know, like you said earlier, the idea of, like, where UVA as a program is right now, um, you know, kind of – I mean, I know that, like, you know, I feel like for some fans, until they until they pull, like, a – a five-star one-and-done kid like they're just not going to be there yet um and maybe part of it comes down to too is like postseason success you know they, they they haven't gone to the final four yet uh under tony um and they've been you know just painfully close uh it seems like to doing it a couple times and and, and i get i get why fans of uva sports are just very well very, it, like, it's reserved. not even it's not even uva fans i get that here a lot because i talk i talk uva all the time right and, you know, you know, Buckeye country. And a lot of people, oh, Virginia's going to get beat early in the tournament. Oh, they're good, but who have they played? Oh, they haven't got to the Final Four yet. I get tired of hearing it. I mean, when right. we lost to Michigan State last year, uh, <laughs> I, I just, oh, they're, I knew it. I knew it. Blah, 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 blah. And it's just kind of, it's frustrating because we might have the most wins in college basketball the last four years of any program. Yeah. And we're still not seeing, I mean, tech friends, my tech friends, they swear this is a fluke. This is a fluke, and then it, it's kind of frustrating. So I think a lot of people on the board they get nervous because, like you said, until a Michael Porter or someone along that line commits, they don't think we could take the next level. That's not true, but you know, people still have their moments where they're kind of like they're waiting. If you followed UVA long enough, you know we've had moments where the shoe just drops for some odd reason and. It stays there. Yeah, you can never, uh, you can never. I mean, ask Oklahoma City Thunder fans. You can never uh, take it for granted, um, yes. even if you think you have a certain level of success. The one thing I'll say about the five star piece is like, look, Austin Nichols may have spent uh, a year or so away from UVA, and he might only play two, but uh, he's a five star, and like that kid is scary good and what did he drop on this in a tournament 13 and 10 when we beat yeah Memphis. he was like the uh, he, and, and it was funny because he was like the only thing they had yeah we stopped the guards that they were supposedly supposed to like kill us circles it, around them, yeah. it was nickels that kind of kept them in the game because remember we didn't blow memphis out for a long stretch because nickels kept them in the ball game yep and then and then ultimately they just turned the ball over mm-hmm. too much they, and that was obviously not his fault but like he's a five-star kid like he this is the first time where you can, as a Virginia fan, you can lose again the the most you know decorated, talented, win wise, whatever senior class, and then you just reload the next season like you're Duke. I mean, that's yep. really what they've done between the 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 twenty sixteen signees and Nichols and and Momedy. Like that's a group of of six dudes joining your program. You replace half your team with more right. talent. Exactly. You you just rolled the ball out, and all of a sudden, <laughs> a bunch of dudes showed up that were just really good. Like that's that's not like that's not what has happened at Virginia in a long, long time, if ever. Well, and you said this on the board. We've done it with kids, like you said. Tony, his recruiting philosophy is to get out and sprint. Jay Huff, when you first introduced him to the board, a lot of guys were like, eh, another yeah, project, right. another project. And then as the season went along, guys started to understand, hey, this kid by his third year might end up being a Frank Kaminsky type of player. Easily. Easily. You I mean, know, that, so, he's, he's got a lot. I think the thing about Jay is like we talked about earlier about, you know, what can, 
you know, what can DeAndre look like once he's had a year with Mike Curtis? What what can Jay Huff look like if he after he's had a year and a half with Mike? Not just in terms of his size, but like just his bounce. Like if you watch some of his clips, he's actually got really good like he's shot more mobile instincts. than I thought, and I think that's the difference between my evaluation of him. Toby never had that bounce. I love yeah. the size. I love right. the fact that he was long for being seven feet and he was young. But Toby wasn't the most mobile player you could have had. James Johnson wasn't the most mobile player. Jay Huff, is, he's pretty mobile, and I think he's going to be more mobile than a lot of people give him credit for. He's going to be a tough cover when he gets stronger, Yeah, like and, you said. And then that's the other thing, too, is that like, Toby, could, Toby couldn't hurt you. Um, it, it, to, Toby could hurt you because he could go over either hand over either shoulder. Something happened to him like midway through his career where he just lost confidence in going either way. And he, he started doing this thing where he had to like dribble, he like, dribbled like back it, you yep. down all the way to the, and then like by that point you're like, all right, either two other guys have run to, to protect <laughs> the, the, the block or the guy is just basically waiting for you to make the one move you're going to make. Well, teams were, teams started sitting on his move because like you said, he wouldn't do both shoulders anymore. He, he just, just yeah, it's like, he put the ball on the ground. And so I think in scouting reports, coaches are just like, and that's where, I pay attention to the games and have fun on the board, and I think a lot of people respect it, is a lot of times I'll watch the game first as a coach. I'll report on the board right. as a coach, and then I'll go back as a fan and watch. So right. a lot of my insight will come from coaching, and so I'll give tips. Or And I'm not the only one on the board. That's what makes basketball season fun. A lot of guys are looking at the game from a coaching standpoint, and they'll call they'll call kids out when they do stuff like that and say, Teams are just sitting on that move, or yep. Devin Hall can't go this way, or Mariel's not using his left hand. And so that's the fun thing about being on the site. A lot of guys are very informative about the game. Mm-hmm. The thing with Toby that bugged me was that he went away. Like, I remember that, that night in Raleigh, I and mean, he was just he was just friggin' feathery. Yes. I mean, it was either it was either hand over either shoulder. I mean, he was just in he just he every shot he he took was the shot he wanted to take. Yep. And and I felt like for like the last year and a half of his career or more maybe he maybe the whole full last two years I guess maybe he had that little resurgence at the end of the season he had the resurgence year. in the tournament where he kind of looked like the kid we thought he would be but he was years. doing a whole lot of that just off the offensive glass and yeah I mean, yeah so yeah he really yeah. never figured out how to um I, that's one thing I'm interested to see with, with Nichols is that like with with Toby you never they never got into a place where like Post repost, you know, post kicking in, he kicks it out. Like you never, you never made teams pay for the fact that you had a guy at seven feet who could use either hand. Well, if you look at that two minute clip, that little shoulder shrug move Austin makes to a jump hook. I again, two minute video, but I'm like, we haven't had a kid on the block that's done that. Well, that move and that was where I was time. going a minute ago with Huff. Is that like, all right, with, with Toby, you had a guy with length who could use either shoulder. Okay, but Huff is going to move you around. Mm-hmm. In a way that no guy with that size at UVA has yet, and nope. and 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 I, I don't want to make too big. I mean, like, listen, he's not going to come in and, and you know be Arvidas a bonus or something. But what he can be, I think, is an incredibly difficult matchup. And I think when you pair that with some of the other pieces around him, like if you started a five of literally just the 2016 kids, and let's assume Mommy's in that group, how how do you stop? How do you stop Jay Huff? If you have a Mominy that you have to keep off the glass, if 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 Mominy's shot has continued to progress the way that it seems like it has, at least in video form, um, if he's able to knock down that baseline J, when you also have to account for for DeAndre and Kyle with a with a floor general like Ty, like they really are a perfect five kind of fit. And Jay Huff can crash the boards as good as we've had. I mean, even in his high school video, the thing that impressed me the most 
is how he got. I mean, granted, he was nine inches taller than most of those kids, but still, you could tell he was very effective in knowing where the ball was going to come from on the offensive glass. He would beat you to the spot, and I don't see that changing when he gets to college. And as he gets stronger, it's going to be like Toby in the tournament. You're not going to be able to keep him off right. the glass. I feel like we've basically just given uh, 59 minutes to, of like mainline Chinese heroin to basketball fans on, on the site. That like right now, like all they like if they're listening to this still, like all they want to do right now is watch UVA basketball because we have we have essentially <laughs> without. <laughs> I mean, we're just we're we're just being honest, but I mean, it, yeah. it's a it's a really exciting time and obviously a um you know a lot to look forward to. Um, but I do think that's a really good place to kind of put a pin in it. Uh, I kind of hope to get into some more stuff about about you, but we, we ended up talking to more, more UVA than I expected. Um, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna end on on one other question. Give me what what do you think as a basketball nerd that you are? What are, what are UVA's biggest needs right now in terms of the roster? Assuming that let's say assume the 17 turns into a transfer that they get. Who should they go after there, and then what do you think your their 18 priorities need to be uh, uh, we, in terms of recruiting? We need post players because, A, you don't – I mean, it's going to depend on the development of Huff. You know, we can be super excited about his potential, but, again, we've seen that with big men before. Austin could have a year where he's either one and done at Virginia or he leaves after two years. I think and, – and, again, you've said this for the last couple of years. We need – players at the guard or the small forward position who can create their own shot. The one problem that a lot of people on the board have, and I even have at times with Tony, is when the shot clock runs down, we don't have a kid that's going to create his own shot. And where we got in trouble last year with Malcolm, when teams got in us late, dribble, 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 stand around, stand around, shot. And that's why we go on those five or six-minute runs. We don't score a basket because we don't have that kid that can attack off the dribble and get us a couple points when we need it. So I think we need, you know, more post players and guys at the one, two, and three position that can create their own shot or hit open threes when they're open. Yeah, I think that was that was one of the things I loved about Likes was, the, you know, he's just a bucket getter. Yep. Um, the thing I'm interested to see is the well, – I guess the good thing about this question is that it doesn't have to be answered until you see ample evidence – from the from the young kids exactly and you can also see how they fit in with everybody else and that's one of the the benefits that tony has of of having recruited the way he has and is that they don't have to make that decision you know tonight while he's sitting in charlotte looking watching kids play um they don't have to make that decision this weekend you know when he and williford and sutterberg are down at peach jam like they can make that decision after they see you know some ample evidence during the beginning of the season um, I, I think they've done such a good job with the 2018 point guards that they that Tony likes who, he, who he's got on his board. He feels really comfortable with the guys he has offers out to. But I think that they know they they need, like you said, they need a, they need some type. They need the, like a Keel Mitchell, Darion Atkins, big mm-hmm. somebody who with bounce who can who can do a lot. Like what they kind of need is almost like a Mamadi clone, but a further along further along pa- the path Mamadi clone. Maybe not. You maybe you don't necessarily need quite as much uh, phenom in him. You just need more. Um, you know, kind of a basketball um, um, comfort level in him. Um, I, but I think that if you, if, if Tony had his druthers, the first two things he would get in that class are the point guard and that kid, and then you fill in the rest. Because oh, realistically, the rest can be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point, your needs are just met because you've got the kids from, from the 16 class, and then because you're assuming that they're going to be seniors or juniors and seniors, and then you fill, those, fill that in with, you know, three or four other guys well like you said the 17 class right now is almost like a gift it i mean really to be is, honest it's like 
we'll take anyone who wants the scholarship or we'll take a transfer, but it's almost like, like you said, they've moved on to the 18 class and just they're, they're going to let 17 run its course because we're just at a position where the talent is so deep right now and it could change that they don't have to make a decision on the kid in July. I just I just got a Durant uh, analogy in my, in my brain to, like, what happens if Virginia has this, like, crazy recruiting class, has a has a good season, and then, oh, by the way, they add the number two way in the country. <laughs> right? <laughs> which, which would be a hell of a problem to have with somebody whose livelihood depends on people's interest in UVA sports. But anyway, dude, look, I really appreciate you joining the show. Um, you did an outstanding job um, to the point where I am – I am ready to here publicly offer you um, a guest slot whenever we talk hoops um, to have you back on, uh, which is honestly something I did not expect when I started doing the, you know, the bring subscribers on the show thing. I was I never even thought like, oh, man, what happens if one of them's like really good at this thing? But <laughs> I do not be surprised if you catch an email from me during the season to have you come on and talk, uh, talk hoops, because no, no offense to, to, to Ferber or to or to Dave, but. Um, I think you, you were you really brought it uh, in, in this uh, in the show. So I'm really looking forward to to having you back on down the road. Um, really, like I said, really appreciate you giving me some time tonight and uh, putting together an, an entertaining hour of uh, of Virginia basketball talk. All right, um, thank you. I, I had a lot of fun. Thank <laughs> you so much. I appreciate it, man. And then also to everybody out there, thanks for for giving us a listen as always. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.